Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Praise God. Our text today takes us to one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Brother Jones kind of spoke about Ruth last week. She changed her name. It was kind of a bitter bitter thing that had happened to her. She had had a terrible loss. And yet how God took somebody from a tragic loss and created something very beautiful from that life. I'm going to come from a different direction today. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, this man, God, did some incredible things in his lifetime through him. But he lived in a in a time in history when it was a difficult time for a man of God to to live in. Very difficult time. This man was used by God throughout his life. One time he stopped the rain from falling. There was a time when there was a widow's son that was dead and God worked through Elijah to bring him back to life. I mean, these are, this hasn't happened to me. I've never stopped the rain, Brother Jones. Brother England, I've never, I've never reached down and brought somebody that was dead back to life with the power of God working through me. These are some things that are incredible. That wasn't all that happened there. Bible says in 1 Kings 19 and 4, it tells us about an instance in Elijah's life that wasn't maybe quite so much on a high note in this particular place. But it was something that left him worn out and quite honestly in such a state of mind that he asked God a very odd request. To be somebody that knew God in the way that Elijah knew God, he asked a very odd request. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I just want to preach to you today, if you allow me, the next few minutes, a message that I have entitled, Under the Juniper. Under the Juniper. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. Amen. Now, I understand that that most all of us go through tough times, and I kind of, I have a question I'm not really looking for an answer for from you. It's just a thought-provoking question that may uh, apply to you at particular times in your life where you need to be alone. And the question is simply this. Do you have a spot, a place that you go to when you need to be alone, when you need to pray or you just need to think? Maybe it's not even a spiritual thing. You just... You just need to gather and collect your thoughts and 
try to work through your emotions and, and something that's happened to you, and, and you just have a favorite spot. I don't know. Maybe you have a, a, a favorite coffee shop that, that you go and you sit in a certain booth or sit at a certain table, look out a window, and, and you just kind of uh, allow your thoughts to roam and kind of mill through your, your whatever's going on in your life. Or, or maybe for some of you, it might be, you know, a place out in the woods someplace. Uh, for me, growing up as a kid, I can remember my grandmother uh had a, a tree out in the back of her yard, and I would climb up into that tree. The tree split just not too far off of the, the, the ground level, and there were four or five limbs that went all over in different ways, and they kind of went out at an angle in which you could climb up as a, as a kid. And so I would find this certain spot, and there was a couple of branches that kind of split off, maybe 15 foot in the air, and I would go find my way up into that tree, and I would just sit there amongst the leaves and and uh, let the, the wind kind of blow through the tree a little bit and just sit there. Maybe somebody had hurt my feelings or maybe something had happened. Maybe I was upset. Maybe my parents told me no to something, and I would find myself in this tree when I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I just needed to be by myself. I didn't, I didn't want to have a conversation, and, and I just needed to try to work my way through whatever it was, whatever childhood situation that I'd found myself in. Amen. That was it for me. Elijah found himself in a place where he was all alone. He wound up underneath the juniper. He wound up in a place where he could just kind of sit back and try to gather his thoughts. Now, if you did not know the backstory of what had just taken place, you might think to yourself that possibly Elijah had just come from suffering a great defeat. Maybe there was a, a big problem that had taken place. Uh, you might not understand what is going on, but uh, some awful thing had happened to him that maybe caused this man to, to wish that he was dead, that his life would come to an end. Because what kind of man of God sits down underneath the tree and said, God, it's enough. Just take me now. Kill me, if you would. Just take my life. Had to be a place of desperation. I know there's not a man or a woman here in this room ha who has not had his or her own share of troubles and difficulties in life. We've all been there. We've all suffered those things. If you've been on the, the face of this planet very long, you've, you've circled around the sun a few times, and you've had some troubles in your life. You've had some disappointments. You've had some setbacks. You've had some things in your life that have not gone the way that you wanted them to go, and, and, and you found yourself in a place sometimes maybe just wandering off and trying to find a place all by yourself just to try to work your way through the situation. 1 Kings 19 picks up just beyond one of Elijah's greatest victories. It was not a defeat that he had just suffered. No, he had just walked away from one of the major victories that he would ever have in his life. He had just seen the power of God in a way that was so mighty that, that it was undeniable to himself and to all those that were around him. Face down the prophets of Baal in a confrontation on Mount Carmel and against numerical odds of 400 to 1, 400 prophets of Baal 
and one man of God named Elijah. He even gave them the benefit of going first. Go right ahead, do what you need to do. And after he'd given them all the time that, that could be allowed, he finally stood back and, and he said, okay. He said, now I'm going to pray. You give me a, a, a shot at this. He had won. And so here he is. But at this point in time in his life, his nation is not a nation that is godly at all. It's under the rule of Ahab and his wicked wife named Jezebel. This woman was so wicked that her name has been synonymous with wickedness ever since. Does anybody know anybody that's named their little girl Jezebel? We'll call her Jezzy. No, because nobody wants to name their child after such a wicked, wicked woman. Israel no longer at this point resembled a godly nation because she was not. Israel had become idolatrous chasing after other gods, fulfilling deadly distractions, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Understand something this morning. Ahab and Jezebel were not, were not from the Philistine nation. Oftentimes I think we forget this. I'm reading through this saying, what kind of a wicked enemy was this that came after God's chosen people? It was not an outside enemy. It was an enemy from within. They were not a king of Philistia. They were not a king of some other ungodly nation. They were not a king from some nation that, that, that was atheistic or, or godless or idolatrous. No, they were a nation. They were a leader of nation of the, the nation of Israel itself. This is what happens. And certain things are allowed to creep in that God says you need to stay away from. There is a reason that God gives us certain things that he expects us to adhere to. There's a reason that God will give us boundaries, draw lines. They're not to hem us in, they're to keep us safe. Understand that today. God is not trying to keep you from anything that is harmful, uh, that is that is uh, good for you. God is trying to keep you from things that will eventually and ultimately destroy your walk with him. Not everything that is wicked seems wicked from the outset, but God sets boundaries to keep his people in a place of safety and separation from those things. Israel's reeling under the effects of letting down their guard, allowing outside influences into their world. Now God uses this man, Elijah, to face down the evil of his day, and he lays the gauntlet down. He draws the line in the sand, and he looks at those men, and he says, this is what we're going to do. He said, the God that answers by fire, that's who we will serve. Can we all agree to that? Well, I think that anybody in their right mind is going to agree to that. Yeah, fire falls from heaven. Yeah, I'm going to pay attention. Whoever's in charge of the, the falling fire from heaven 
has got my vote. I, I'm going to be on that, that one side. This is the way the Bible puts it. Elijah came to all the people and he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Elijah makes this bold line in the sand. He provokes them to make a decision. What are you waiting on? Make up your mind. If God is God, then we'll follow him. But if Baal is God, let him prove that he is God, and we'll all follow him. Sound fair enough? They were quiet, silent. No one spoke a word. No decisions were made. Nobody steps up and sided with the preacher just because he makes this radical statement. Hear me today. The world is never going to be moved just because the church says, God can or you ought to. The world does not have to move. The world will remain silent if we just stand up and talk about what God can do or what they ought to do. But they are going to move when there is a demonstration of the Holy Ghost that makes it evident that his power is greater than their problem. Amen. We can be called apostolic Pentecostal all day long. We can put the sign up in bold flashing lights out by the highway. We can tell people everything that there is about what God can do and what they ought to do, but there is nothing more powerful than when God comes in and he demonstrates through the supernatural and that God wants to use his church to do that very thing. Paul said, my speech, my preaching wasn't with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. In other words, he said it was going to take more than a good message. It's going to take more than just a three-point sermon, a cute little story. There's got to be a demonstration of the power of God. So the little contest started on Mount Carmel. It doesn't build a new altar. In fact, the Bible says that he took a an old broken down altar and rebuilt it. Which leads me to ask you a question that I want you to ask yourself. How's the altar in your life? Is it broken down? Does it need rebuilt? I'm not going to get off too much there. It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. How is the altar that is in my life? Has it been so long since somebody's came and knelt down at it that it's in disrepair? Or do we honor and cherish that place where we meet God? Put a dead animal on it, soak it down with water, this man pre prays a 63-word prayer. Supernaturally, fire comes down from the heavens and consumes everything that is there. No big flashy words, 
He doesn't do a special dance. He doesn't have on supernatural clothing. He simply states a prayer. God, let them see who you really are. God answered by fire. Then Elijah just settles everything with a good old-fashioned beat down. He takes the 400 prophets of Baal and he does away with them. (laughs) You've been bringing this evil into the nation that I love for long enough. We have proven today that you are false prophets. We have proven today that, that, that you are prophets of wickedness, and, and we're going to do away with you. And that's what he does. He destroys all 400 prophets of Baal. You talk about a victory, one against 400. He takes them all on up there on Mount Carmel, and fire falls from heaven, and then with the power of God still within him, he takes the sword, and he takes care of every last false prophet on that mountain that day. Oh, the victory in his life had rivaled this one. Once all said and done, he has the attention of the nation. They're listening to what he has to say. They're probably still standing there with their eyes wide open and a jaw on the ground. After that fire just fell from heaven, they have just witnessed something that that no one had ever seen before. You would think that all would be well. You would think that after that moment that there would be a great revival in Israel. But I've seen it over and over again. (laughs) I've seen it after some of our greatest services. I've seen it after somebody had just come down to an altar and tried to make things right and have made things right. I have watched as as the enemy will try to slip in and destroy everything good that God was able to accomplish in somebody's life or in the life of a church family. I've watched it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I've come to the point where I pretty much expected if we have an amazing, incredible, supernatural spirit of God move in a service, I just naturally expect that next weekend everything is going to try to unravel and fall apart. We have to be prepared for the enemy. We have to be thoughtful, mindful, because Satan cannot stand it when God gets the glory. He despises the fact that he has lost control over your life, that you have decided to hand the reins over to the supreme one to the one that really gets the credit, to the one that should really get the worship. He cannot stand it when you give his worship to the one that really deserves the worship in the first place. And he's going to come out of the woodwork against you and against the church. But let me tell you something today. Amen. When he comes against you, you take a stand and don't you back down because the God that brought you this far is the God who's going to take you the rest of the way. Word gets back to Queen Jezebel of what had happened. She flies in this maddening rage. Why? Because she was possessed, I believe, by the devil himself. She had the spirit of anti-God in her. 
She makes a declaration. I'll give it 24 hours, and I want that man's life. Elijah's life is not worth a plug nickel. I'll have him dead within 24 hours. And that single declaration paralyzed the faith of Elijah. As a matter of fact, it unnerved him in such a way that he went into a mental and spiritual slump. Anybody else ever been there? <laughs> Everything was rolling along just, just fine, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you can't hardly catch your breath, and your knees go weak, and, and you just feel like all of the energy, all the umph is just drained right out of you, and you can't hardly stand on your own two feet. Here it is in Scripture that a man who was at one of the strongest spiritual victories in his life, he fails. That's often the way it is with humanity. Quite honestly, at best, men are still just men. Humans are still human. Elijah failed in his strength, and he flees from an angry queen. Is that much different than Abraham failing in his great faith and having a son out of doubt, thinking that God can't fulfill his promise? Is that much different than Moses, Moses failing in, in his great meekness? There was no man that was that was more humble than Moses. The Bible declares that this man was a, a meek man, and yet you find him when God says, speak to the rock. He takes his staff and he strikes the rock once again, therefore sentencing himself to not be able to go into the land of promise. Solomon, the wisest man, wisest king to ever live, in all of his wisdom, towards the end of his life, pursues many wives and their idolatrous ways. Elijah goes toe-to-toe with the king, toe-to-toe. He stands up to Ahab, and he looks him square in the eye, and he says, our problem is you. Now, that took a lot of guts. you gotta, you got to admit that. For him to stand there and look, the man, uh, the, the, the man that leads the nation square in the eye and tells him, you are the problem, king, when he knows that that king could have his life right then and there. How could he do that and then not too much later run just because the queen makes a declaration wanting his life? Even more surprising that he would find a place and sit down and just give up on living. Sitting under juniper, wanting to die. What a sad state of affairs. He said, it is enough. It's enough, God. I've had a few victories, but I can't take the pressure. It's enough. I'm just going to be real blunt today. That is not your call to make in your life. 
It is not your call to say, God, it is enough. That is God's call. That is God's call. You don't get to give up just because you get weary. You don't get to quit just because you're having a rough day. Amen. You don't need death to come and take you. You need a quiet place to rest and recuperate because God has more for your life. You're not supposed to die underneath a juniper tree. There is more for you to do in the kingdom of God. And God needs you to get up and move forward because there are people that are depending on you to do so. We all have our juniper tree moments. <laughs> Spiritual blues. Times when, let's just be honest, we don't understand God or we might just be flat out angry with God. I'm just trying to be kind of transparent with you today. Okay, so I'm the pastor of the church. That doesn't mean that God lets me in on everything that he's planning on doing. That doesn't mean that he exempts me from troubles in life. That doesn't mean that I don't have any aches or pains. No, I'm just like you. Cut me and I bleed. Just like you. Human is the next guy. There are times when we find ourselves sitting underneath the juniper tree, quite honestly, kind of feeling sorry for ourselves and our situation that we're in. You would think that this man, after watching God send fire from heaven, would say, hey, he did that. He can take care of her. I ain't scared of her one single little bit. But he's weary. He's tired. Think about it. Was Jezebel stronger than God? No. Had something changed? No. Was Elisha all by himself? Well, in his particular situation, he felt all alone, and he thought he was all alone, but the reality was he was not alone at all. The Bible tells us that there was a hidden hundred there were 7,000 more who had not even bowed a knee to, uh, to, to Baal. But, but what happened was this woman, this evil, wicked woman, with what she had said, got inside of his head. She began to threaten him. She began to make him feel like he was not as good as God knew he was. Doubt flooded where faith had been. It's a trick of the enemy to get your perspective all out of sorts. And it usually happens when you're weary, when you're tired. We had our grandson, Callan, with us a couple weeks ago. Now, Callan had stayed with us before. He'd spent a couple nights with us, two or three nights. I can't remember how long it was, but it was more than just one night. And, and, and the last time, his daddy um, uh, would call and say, we say, hey, Colin, it's your daddy on the phone. You want to talk to him? And nope, nope. Having fun, having a good time, didn't cry, just had a great time with, with the grandma and grandpa. And, and we, we spoiled him rotten for a few days and then sent him back home, let his, let his parents deal with him. So uh, we, we expected about the same thing this time. The first night, everything went just fine. 
I mean, he's a little bit older now, and 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 he'd already been with us before, and we thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. He was so excited about coming that when we showed up to meet them at the restaurant, he drove us bonkers the whole time. Can we go now? Can we go now? Can we go now? I was like, okay, let's finish our food. We're here to eat. Then we can go. And so that first 24 hours was really good, but the, the, the second night, it was a Saturday, uh, we'd spent all day, and we had run all day long. We'd taken him to see people. We'd taken him places. We'd grabbed stuff to eat. We'd gone over and seen my mother and let her visit with him for a while. And so he was in all these strange places with all these, these people, and some of them he knew and some of them he didn't know, and he was eating all this food, and we were just taking good care of him and driving along. And I thought, when is this kid going to fall asleep? But he did not fall asleep. And it got into evening Saturday night, and and I got to I got to thinking, okay, um, you know, he's gonna he's gonna lay down and rest, and he's gonna conk out. And so my wife, she laid down uh, with him for a little while and told him a little story, read a book to him. I don't know, they they were just talking in there. It seemed like everything was going all right, and he was just exhausted. And the next thing I know, he's panicking. I want my mom. I want my dad. I said, well, the first part I was, you know, I, I, there's a little process here. The first part of the process is let the wife handle it. <laughs> Grandma can take care. If anybody's going to be compassionate and, and make this all go away, it's going to be her. She can calm him down, but you couldn't calm him down. And so Papa steps in, and I said, hey, listen, here's the deal. You know, I'm just going to be. Right up front and honest with you. Here's how it's going to be. Your mom and dad are two hours away. They're probably already asleep. It's 1030 at night. You're not going home. Try to lay down and get some rest. You'll be better in the morning. Guess what? That didn't help either. I finally picked him up. I started walking him through the room. You know, that's easy to do when they're about a year or two years old. But this kid, you know, he is a big five-year-old. Is he five? Yeah, just turned five. Sometimes I, I'm trying to keep up. I mean, he, he's a good-sized five-year-old. I'm walking through the living room with him down the hallway, and his feet are almost touching the floor. I'm like, this is ridiculous, and I've got a bad back. What are you doing? And it wasn't working anyway. He's like, I want to go home. I want mom. I want dad. And I, I finally said, okay, okay, all right, okay, calm down. All right, let's, let, let's, let's get, get you in the car. To be honest with you, I was willing to drive him all the way home. Four hours on the road on a Saturday night at 10.30 at night. So at 10.30 at night, a couple of Saturday nights ago, me and my wife and our grandson are driving all the way. We took about a 45-minute to an hour drive. We went down through Tilden and out through Coulterville and all the way back around. And we, we were driving all, all over the place, and, and he finally conked out. So when I got him back home, I was like, oh, let's be careful. Get, get him to the room. Keep him asleep. But I thought, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. He was exhausted. And you don't think right when you're tired. You don't think the same as you do when you're fresh. You know what I've told a lot of people that have had troubles in their life? Go to sleep. I had somebody years and years and years ago 
they're not a part of this church any longer. They've moved on. Uh, But they were having some trouble. They called me. I woke me up out of a dead sleep. Number one, that is a, that's a, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster right there. If I'm waking up out of a dead sleep, I don't know what I'm going to say to you. But the Lord was actually with me on this one, and I finally, after listening to what was going on and, and the havoc that was taking place in the home, I told this particular person, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to knock on the door. When they open the door, I said, don't say a word. You just walk right in. I said, I want you to go to your bedroom, lay down in your bed, and go to sleep. No more arguing. No more fussing and fighting. No more trying to out with the other one. Go to bed. (laughs) Let me tell you what happened. The next day I get a phone call. I'm like, oh, here we go. But I could tell immediately things were totally different. She had this happy, happy tone in her voice. She said, you were right. You were right. She said, we got up this morning. Both of us were different. We both apologized to each other. We took care of the mess. It's all behind us. I said, see, this is what happens when you try to get in an argument when you're tired. Elijah was not backslidden. Elijah was just spiritually, emotionally, and physically drained, and this had put him in a place where he said, you know what? God said, no, you're not. You're not done. There have been many that have found themselves in utter despair that have gone on to do great things. David picked himself up, encouraged himself in the Lord. You look at the life of Job, afflicted beyond comprehension, Not a single one of us would want to trade places with that man. I guarantee you that. As bad as we've had it in our life at certain given time, none of us have gone through what Job went through. And yet, yet Job made it through and went on to serve God. Peter says, I don't know who Jesus is three times. And then the rooster crowed came the realization that he had done exactly what he said he would not do. And yet, He preached the first apostolic message on the day of Pentecost. Just because you failed, just because you're tired, just because you feel beat down, bruised, just because you feel rejected, amen, does not mean that God is done with you. You you may feel like you're sitting under the juniper tree and everything is going wrong in your life and people are after you and they're threatening you, but God has a future for you that only you can do for him. Amen, get up. Get up from that juniper tree. Don't you lay there and die. Get up and keep serving God with everything that's within you. Remember, when you're having that moment underneath your tree, it's temporary. It's not how your story ends. Bible doesn't say, yea, though I camp out and build a habitat in the valley of death. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't you build a house where God says to pitch a tent. 
you just got a temporary dwelling there. Our music come today. Something very important I want to kind of close with. Elijah felt very alone, I'm sure, but it wasn't because there weren't others that would have desired to be there with him. See, Elijah had a servant, friend, Beersheba. He left him there. He wanted to go with Elijah. Elijah said, you stay here. You stay here. So Elijah was alone because he chose to be alone. The servant was faithful. The servant didn't abandon Elijah. Elijah had left him behind. seems to be pretty much the status quo when people get physically weary, spiritually drained. They start separating themselves from the very one that can help them. Watch it over and over throughout the years, the little red flags that pop up. Well, I can't make it this this time, all right? I'm not showing up. Or all of a sudden, they, they begin to distance themselves from the one that they need the most. Let me tell you something. I'll be the first to admit, I need you desperately in my life. I need this church. I need you people. I need my brothers and my sisters. I need my family. I need the gathering together of the corporate body to come and worship the Lord. I need Tuesday morning men's prayer. And I need every once in a while a men's breakfast where we can just sit down and eat some bacon and eggs and, and, and shoot the breeze over, over a table at the local restaurant. I need the time when we have the couples sing where Sister Warren comes out and, and, and uh, puts on the display of stuff that we have where we can gather together with people of like precious faith. I need to rub shoulders with the children of this church, amen, and watch them come to the altar and watch their hearts be turned towards God. I need my brothers and my sisters in each and every part of my day. But there are times when we get exhausted where we just want to push away. That's not the time to, to start missing church. That's the time to make up your mind that I cannot miss church. I have to get to the house of God. I have to be around the people that care for me. I have to be around the people that can help me get through this. This is where we have fellowship. This is where we find strength. This is where we receive courage to take another step, faith for another day. See, everything in Elijah's life had been geared to prepare him for the confrontation on Mount Carmel. And I probably am quite certain that he thought that this victory would change everything. 
sadly, the Baal worshiping continued. I've got to wonder if Elijah looked at everything and thought there would be a different outcome when he saw that really not a whole lot had changed in his nation. He might have thought everything he did was counted for nothing. But the reality was, hear me, hear me on this. The reality was God was, was moving him and positioning him into a place where he could really speak some intimate things to this man because he was not done with him. You tell me one other man that went up, was received up into heaven in a chariot of fire. None that I know of. God had something very special for this man, but he had to get him into a place where he could continue. Elijah was going to be satisfied to just lay under a juniper tree up there all by himself amongst the rocks and the, and the twigs and the leaves and that old tree and say, God, just kill me here. And God said, no, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a way out of this world that is going to blow your mind. I've got plans for you that you can't even comprehend. God took him from the Mount Carmel. Elijah went and found himself underneath a juniper tree. But God directed him from the juniper tree. He found himself in a dark cave. He got up and left the juniper tree, and for a moment maybe it seemed like he was even in a worse state. It's in this dark cave that he's lodging, waiting in the loneliness. He didn't have to wait long. He's sitting there in that dark place. The Bible says the word came unto him. Hear me. There is no darkness that is so heavy. There's, there's, no, there's no loneliness. There's no... There's no sickness. There's no situation. There's no desperate moment that is so bleak and so dark that God cannot reach you right where you're at. Would you stand with me today? The Bible says that God asked a question of this man that was sitting there in that dark cave. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, maybe Elijah's first response would have been, I don't know, you tell me what I'm doing here. I expected to be someplace a little bit better than what I'm at too, God. 
But it was right there in that moment where God began to speak to Elijah, giving him direction, giving him purpose, giving him strength, giving him anointing. He says, you get up from here. You've got some kings to anoint. I've got work for you to do. You've got to You've got to anoint a successor. There's a young man by the name of Elisha that needs to catch your mantle. Got 7,000 who need your leadership. They're just like you, and they've not bowed a a knee to Baal. Don't tell me you're going to give up on them. Don't tell me that you're going to walk out on them. Don't tell me that you're all alone. I've got all these others out there that need you to step away from the juniper tree and find a place where you can hear the sound of my voice. God, the Bible says, whispered. It was not in the fire. It was not in the storm. It was not the earthquake but in a still, small voice. Still, small voice. You know, if my wife ever leans up and whispers something in my ear, I want to know what she said. I want to be able to hear her. And God, in a still, small voice, changes everything. And as I was reading that and studying that the other day, it hit me like a ton of lightning, just a a bolt of lightning. And it felt like the Lord just kind of spoke into my spirit and he said, Elijah drew more strength when I whispered than he did from the demonstration of fire from the mountaintop. You're going to have Mount Carmel experiences. You live for God, of course, you're going to have victories. There's going to be times when you go home from church and it takes you three hours to unwind because things were so fired up. You you just you can't you can't just sit down and go to bed. You you've got to you've got to unwind because the power of God was so vibrant there, and you saw the power that was working in Him. You saw the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, and thank God for it. We have to have the demonstration, the anointing, the power of God. Amen. We need that as apostolic Pentecostals. We have to have people being baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. We have to have people that walk in maimed. We have to have people that walk in hurting, that walk out healed. We have to have that, and that is available to us. But hear me now tonight. That is not going to be the thing that changes you. That's not going to be the thing that draws you in. It's going to be the still small voice. When God gets you alone and in the frame of mind where you can hear him when he whispers. Would you bow your heads today? You see, I fully believe that God demonstrates his power not for the church, but for the sinner, the unbeliever, so that he can draw the lost and the unbelieving to him. But 
he whispers in the quiet to those that allow him to get up close and personal with them. They said, show us a sign. He said, it's a, it's a wicked generation that asked for a sign. Prove to us who you are. Prove to us that we, why we should serve you. And he says, I'll give you a demonstration. And the demonstration is for the unbeliever, but the church, the church has a different type of relationship. God, you don't have to prove to me anything. I've already seen you work. I've already known what you can do. And if I never see another miracle, if you never heal me again, God, if you don't give me a yes when I ask for it, God, if it don't go the way that I want it to go or think that it should go and you have other plans, I will still serve you. I'm not going to die underneath the juniper tree. I'm going to see the juniper tree as an avenue for you to get me where I need to be in order for you to give me the direction, the anointing, the power that I need to fulfill your role for my life. I wonder who it is that needs you to come out from underneath the juniper tree. I wonder who's waiting on you today. Maybe you're thinking you're not there yet. You're not perfected yet. You don't have that anointing yet. Maybe you're not feeling like you're in a place where you can reach out to somebody that needs you, but I'm telling you today, God's asking you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here underneath this juniper tree? I want to open up these altars today. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.